Hey everybody, today on Rado Runs Through, I'm taking a look at my top 20 most anticipated games for Essence Spiel 2023. And first of all, as always, let me start out by saying a huge thank you to Eric Martin of Board Game Geek, their head news guy, who uh, personally maintains uh, the yearly uh, Board Game Geek Essence Spiel preview. There's a link for it down in the show notes. Uh, I don't think any of us board game media folk would be able to come up with our most anticipated list without all the hard work Eric puts in. And Eric, you're amazing. Thank you so much, as always. Now, uh, that's thing number one out of the way. Thing number two is, I've already lied to you folks. I said this is a top 20. No, I'm doing two top 10 countdowns today. First of all, I've already played, Jen and my wife, we've played probably over 30 games that are getting launched at Essence Spiel this year. And my first top 10 is my top 10 of those games. The 10 games that Jen and I, we've already kicked the tires on, we already know they're awesome, and I would want to make sure I brought them home above all else. I'm going to be counting those games, my top 10 games that Jen and I have already played. After I'm done with that, I will do a second top 10 where I talk about games that Jen and I have not played and that I am dying to play and that I am very jealous of other board game media folks who have gotten to play and which I will play. Mark my words. So, two different lists and uh, right, that's pretty much it. Uh, should be pretty straightforward. Uh, my first list, uh, since I've pretty much covered all of these games on the channel already, I'm going to try and go through it a little bit quicker because you you can go check out my existing videos and my roundups where I've already talked about them, but uh, then we'll probably dig a little bit deeper on the games that I haven't played yet. Right? Makes sense? Okay then, let's get going. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Number 10 on the list of games that I must have, and I know I must have it because I've already played it, and between you and me, I do have it, but if I didn't have it, I would want to have it. Number 10 is a big surprise for me that it came in so high. The House of Cats. This is, on the surface, a very simple bingo-y roll-and-write style game, but there's two things that really make it stand out. One, it's co-designed by William Attia, one of the all-time great designers, and I was so excited to see him come back, as I really haven't seen really anything of his that I dug since Spirium, although most people really uh, credit him for Kalos. The second thing, Oh, and that's not, uh, you know, uh, his co-designer, Christian Osby, is no slouch either. He's made some of the best rolling rights of all time. The second thing is, while this is a game of, you know, bingo-y, rolling dice, picking which ones, I'm going to put on one of four different house plan layouts to make a series of rooms that are perfect for cats. The interesting thing is, at the beginning of the game, there are 12 special powers. Four of them are going to be randomly assigned to the different house uh, room sizes. And that creates so much replayability. I love this idea so much that it really elevates this game in terms of replayability, and I would love to see this idea brought into other games, too. It's very, very impressive. Uh, sadly, the only game on the list I don't actually have a full run-through for, but um, folks, uh, the heart wants what the heart wants. I love rolling rights, and I love number 10, House of Cats. Now, let's talk about number 9 on the list, a uh, how 
rulers of the Yucatan, which is something that I covered when it was crowdfunding, gosh, I think maybe two years ago, and it's finally coming out. And this game is brilliant, not only because of all the work the publisher did to be um, bringing on cultural consultants. I mean, they actually found, if I recall correctly, you know, um, modern-day Mayan scribes to make sure they were getting everything right and representing this ancient lost culture correctly. I love that. I love that attention to detail. But then I also love the gameplay. Uh, this is a game where every turn you've got a hand of cards, you're going to play two. One indicates where I want to go. I want to send my work around on the board to you know harvest various resources. The other represents how badly do I want to go there. And the tricky thing is, if both players end up going to the same space, well, only one of them will get to go there and the other one will get bumped someplace else. And what's so brilliant about this game is, sometimes I desperately want you to bump me because I don't have a card to go where I want to. So I try to anticipate where you're going, go with a really low initiative, and then hopefully if I figure out where you're going and you go there, then I bump into where I really want to go. And that's just one of several really brilliant mechanisms. Just like the, the central one, but there are so many cool ways that players interact. Like one of the things is when you unlock the ability to score victory points for different objectives, it's not based on how well you do the objective. It's based on how well everybody else does. So if I see that you've built an engine for really focusing on um, you know um, leveling up your temple, then I probably want to score points for, hey, all the best temples in the land, and then you've got a tough choice. Do you pivot, or do you help me? Uh, so many cool ideas. It's really, really impressive. And again, you can check out my original run-through to see more of number nine, a how. Then we've got number eight, um, Arborea. A new game from a first-time designer, Danny Garcia. And this game is absolutely fantastic. It's a fanciful, fantastical, mystical forest full of forest people who are just trying to, you know, help the uh, you know the forest survive and thrive, but what's interesting is this is a worker placement game where I put my workers out to go on journeys, and um you know even though it doesn't look like it, this game is the closest I've come all these years to playing another Zulk in the Mind calendar because once I put my worker on one of the four paths they can go on, over time those paths will automatically move forward and I like conveyor belts, and I've got to decide at some point in the future when am I going to pull them off the board so they can go do stuff. The interesting thing is if multiple uh, uh, journeyers, mine or yours, get on these paths, the paths go faster. So players are kind of working together, simpatico. Um, you know, if, if you want to, you know, piggyback off of the journey I'm already going on, so you can get someplace faster, that might be a smart move, even if it wasn't where you were originally planning on going. The game is gorgeous. It's got lots of really fun, positive interaction. Even though it's a competitive game, this isn't a game where players are screwing each other, but creating opportunities for each other. And I love everything about it. Number. Eight, Eight on the list, Arborea. Okay, then we go on to number seven on the list, Printing Press, which is the uh, sequel to Gutenberg, a game all about the early days of uh, printing presses. And this is another example of one of my favorite styles of game. Uh, card stacking, card layering, where every round players are going to um, draft these little, not regular cards, they're like one by three strips of cards, and try to lay out the best page layout to run through our new Gutenberg style printing press. But the interesting thing is, at any given time, we've got like four different objectives we are trying to do to figure out how best to score the page we're making. And over the course of the game, we'll make three pages. The interesting thing is, after a given round, after a week, 
and we've grabbed all the strips and we've kind of you know stacked them all over the place, kind of cattywampus. Um, what ultimately happens is we take the frame that represents our page, we lay it over the top of our page, and there we go. That becomes what we're doing. And all the stuff that doesn't fit within the frame is lost, wastage, gets snipped off the side. I love this. This is such a fun, interesting puzzle. I love card layering games. And this one does a lot of cool, new, interesting things. Very, very impressed with it. Number seven, printing press. Okay, then we go on to a number six on the list, humanity. Oh man, I mentioned earlier, William Attia making the big return with our Scots. He's not the only one. Uh, Johan Levitt, the designer of Miramis, one of my favorite worker placement games of all time. Or more recently, he was more famous for Turing Machine. Well, he's back to doing worker placement in a really cool way with humanity, which is about um, you know building scientific research stations on the Saturn's moon of Titan. And uh, it combines harvest resourcing as we manage our little uh, uh, space base full of science modules to study and research, and also a really cool, cool way to handle time tracks. Another one of my favorite mechanisms of all time. You don't see them very often, like in Glenmore, Takedo, or uh, Thebes, but this one does time tracks in a way I've never seen before that gives you more control than we've ever had before over the time track, and it's awesome. My run-through for this is actually going to be coming in a few days, just before Essence Spiel. I've said before, I'll say it again, I think this is going to be one of the sleeper hits of the show as people get their hands on it and start really having their minds explode with possibilities. It's so great. And it's so great to see Johan Levitt back with uh, number uh, six, Humanity. Okay, then let's go on to number five, Barcelona. First-time designer, uh, Danny Garcia, I mentioned earlier. He's a second-time designer now. This is his big year. He's bringing out two games at Essenspiel. And uh, this one is about you know building up the beautiful city of Barcelona. And um, it is a very, very sharp worker placement game where we send citizens out to this grid that represents Barcelona. And wherever we put them, we get to activate the actions on the row and column that we're on. And depending on where we put them, there might even be a third axis that we can... Uh, uh, you'll activate. So this is a game full of big, huge, powerful super moves. You're always doing two, sometimes three turns worth of stuff every turn you do. But then the interesting thing is, after I've done placing my workers, they stay on the board because I'm not going to get them back. They now represent citizens who demand housing. And the more of these get littered around the board, the more opportunity all players have to build the buildings that the citizens need. So we're sending them out, not only thinking about, right, what actions do I want to do, but also where do I want to put citizens because of where I want to build more buildings. Really sharp. Danny Garcia is having a very good year um, with uh, my second game that I've mentioned on his list. I can't wait to see what he's coming up with next. Number five, Barcelona. Then let's go on to number four, the White Castle. Um, this is from the design team, you know, publishers and designers behind the Red Cathedral. And I hope this is something that's continuing. Uh, color place. We've got Red Cathedral. Now we've got White Castle. I don't know what's coming next, but I, I can't wait to see because this game is such a brilliant dice drafting and dice worker placement game. And what really makes it sing is you only get nine turns. But if you're playing smartly, every one of your nine turns has the potential to combo into two or or three or four turns worth of actions. So it's constantly an incredibly satisfying game 
full of tension um, as you're trying to draft the right dice, knowing that every time you draft one, you then create other opportunities for your opponents who might get a die they like even better. Um, and you are working on three different axes. There's like three different games, mini games worth of stuff, whether you're focusing on um, you know, training soldiers or you know, deploying gardeners or getting courtiers into the castle and working their way up the ranks. So much variety. So much gets done. I'm actually reminded of Zapotec from a few years ago, and I love a big, rich, crunchy Euro in a very, very fast playing uh, package. And this game is phenomenal. Uh, this game is going to sell out immediately, folks. Number four, The White Castle. Then we've got number three, Apiary. And I can't talk about this one, folks. There's actually an embargo. I have filmed my run-through. I have filmed my final thoughts. But until, I think, um, the second, tomorrow, I'm filming this today on the first, I can't actually talk about it. You'll see my run-through this week. It is going to be um, you know, opening up for you know, worldwide ordering. And it will be pick-upable at Essen Spiel. And all I can say is, Space Bees! I can't even say if Space Bees are awesome or not. But I guess passively I'm saying, hey, if this is my number three on must-have games that I've already played, that says something, right, folks? I'll tell you more tomorrow in the embargo list. But number three uh, is uh, Stonemeyer Games Apiary. Space Bees! Okay, then we go on to number two, Sagrada Artisans. Oh my goodness, a legacy roll-and-write game. Who knew that that's what we wanted? Um, but it's awesome. Uh, you know, We absolutely adore... Legacy, and this game starts out simple, but as you play through multiple sessions, it gets so big and rich and complex. And unlike a lot of Legacy games, once you're done, you can keep playing with all the toys. Um, you know, there's been some Legacy games that give you kind of like a post-game thing you can keep doing, but they only give you access to like portions of what you did. In this one, no, everything's available to you. So you're not, you don't feel like you're like, oh, I got to play it once and now I'm done. No, you can keep playing. And I appreciate that, but I've always loved how great Sagrada is, and Sagrada Artisans takes it to new heights. Again, like all these, you can go check out my run-through to learn more when we uh, covered it when it was crowdfunding. Number two on the list is Sagrada Artisans, but what eclipses that, folks? Number one is Evenfall. Currently, this is my number two uh, highest ranked game for the year. The only thing that beats it is Earth, which, by the way, Earth is going to be at this convention as well, but I couldn't put Earth on the list because Earth came out months ago. I never really understand how Eric Martin picks some of his entries, but I, know, I can't complain. Eric, you're awesome. I would never question you, but my number one uh, that didn't come out months and months and months ago is Everfall, an absolutely brilliant game about uh, effectively running a coven in a, a witch's coven in a fantasy universe, and the tough choices are all about playing my cards so I can harvest resources and points for them, but eventually having to sacrifice those cards to turn them into additional worker placement spots and in-game scoring opportunities. It really reminds me a lot of one of my all-time faves, Elysium, and it has so much variety baked into the box with you know special player powers and so much variety of cards. This one is going to make a lot of people's top 10 of the year. I'm calling it now. It's already made mine. Uh, my most anticipated game that I've already played uh, that you can pick up at Essen Spiel is even fall. Okay, folks. So that's the beginning. And I'm going to pause for a second because I am very thirsty already and I was going fast. Okay. So folks, are you ready? Uh, now 10 games I have not played. I have done my research and in several cases, I've actually uh, downloaded the rule book that I can get a better understanding of what they are. And folks, there are hundreds of games at Essence Spiel. 
that I haven't got a chance to play that I would like to play. It was very difficult narrowing it down to just these 10. Um, but if you would like to hear more, if you'd like to hear about, I don't know, 100 plus games, and you are a supporter of the show, well, guess what? Um, after I'm done recording this, I'm going to record my monthly Rado Ramble, which is a, uh, a exclusive blog show I do where I talk about all kinds of stuff. This month, I'm going to dig deep. I am just going to open up that uh, Board Game Geek preview and just go through it and talk about everything I learned. All the games I'm interested in. Not just limiting myself to 20. I'm sure by the time I'm done, I will have talked about over 100 games that I have played, that I haven't played, expansions, games to demo, all of that stuff. So if you'd like to know more, you can hit that join button down there or go check out my page. Patreon page. There's an eye up in the top right corner of the screen. But with all that out of the way, folks, if you just want to hear about the creme de la creme, the top 20, I'm going to keep going now. And remember, these are the ones we have not played. I don't have videos for these, so I'm just showing the uh, Board Game Geek pages for these things. And let's get going with number 10, another surprise, folks, because it's another roll and write. Walking in Burano, the roll and write. Now, I am a mega fan for uh, designer Wei Min Ling. I love everything he's done. I thought the original Walking in Burano was fantastic. And turning it into a roll and write just makes perfect sense to me. And I really like the ideas here in that every round there's going to be a bunch of dice rolled that represent the different colors of houses that you are trying to fill with all kinds of wonderful bric-a-brac. You know, people to live in them, cats to live in them, plants, all kinds of things. And on your turn, you're going to pick one die of a given color, and that means that number you're going to be able to put in that matching color house. But these numbers are multi-use. They have different functions depending on whether they're going towards pets or people or plants or something else that starts with a letter P. I don't remember what all there are. There's like I think there's like street lamps and stuff like that too. So they're multi-use dice. And the interesting thing is there's only six of them. And if um, you go to a die I want to go to and then I want to get that instead, I end up giving you money that you can then use to manipulate the dice later. So I love that. But what I really find interesting is the more stuff you fill up on your city, I don't know if there's going to be very many good pictures other than that. I probably should have stayed on the picture I was there. All these other pictures are terrible. I should have just left it well enough alone. But as you're filling up your street in Burano, you're also trying to get an eye towards getting these particular tourists and people showing up that will give you in-game scoring. And from what I've read, it looks like this game starts out simple, but starts to get super-duper crunchy as it goes on. Anyway, though, I'm mostly putting this on here because I love um, Wei Min Ling. I love the original Walking Burano. I love Roland Wright's. And it's a total coincidence that both of these two lists happen to start with a roll and write. Number 10 for me has got to be Walking in Burano, the roll and write. I cannot wait to try this, um, folks. And tr in the meantime, try the original Walking in Burano. And the uh, Walking in Provence is also amazing. Anyway, though, let's move on to number 9 on the list, Jin. And um, not not the game from a few years ago, uh, also called Jin. There's actually a few different ones. This is the most recent. This is the 2023 version of Jin from designer Benjamin Schwer, who is the designer of Crown of Amara, uh, which is an amazing Rondell-based game. And he's done some other games that people really love too, but I mean, Amara is enough to pull me in. But then what keeps me in is this idea of... Uh, I, I, we're starting to see this more and more. I can't remember. I think the first time I ever saw this idea of a worker movement game, not worker placement, but you your workers don't come off the board. They just stay on the board and they move around. And you know where they move to means, hey, this is what you have access to. It's like a freewheeling rondelle where you can go in any direction. I love this idea. Like I said, the, the Colonist, I think, was the first one I ever saw it in. But I, there's been other games that are doing it. And Jin is one that does it as well because you're moving around the city, uh, following these tracks, going from space to space. The interesting thing is you're like a shark. 
You can only move forward. If you were at this space and then you chose to come here to activate this action, you can't turn around and go back the way you came. You must keep going forward. And if you want to do that other action again, you got to find a way to loop all the way back around to get to it. And to me, that seems really intriguing. Um, you know, that kind of, again, kind of feeling like a rondelle with a lot of branching paths. That sounds neat. And you know, the design pedigree is fantastic. Uh, the production looks really, really nice. As I understand it, we're traveling around the board trying to capture djinns, or genies, who are causing havoc in the city. And then once we got them, they can become a fuel source to let us do more stuff. Mostly, folks, I'm just intrigued by this idea of a, uh, of a rondelle with branching paths. I think that should be super cool. So much so that I cannot wait to try it. If you'd like to know more about it now, uh, um, um, oh, uh, Gaming Rules uh, did a fantastic run-through, but I already knew what it was. I haven't watched that yet, but you can check it out. Anyway, though, folks, number nine on my list has to be Jin. Okay. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Then let's go on to number eight, Unmatched Adventures Tales to Amaze. And I have to admit, I mean, the Unmatched series is incredibly popular. I mean, Apollo, the guy who goofs checks my videos, he loves them so much. He loves them so much, he has me buy rare out-of-print ones and then send them to him in Portugal because I can get them cheaper here in America. I'm like a, a, uh, you know, a gateway towards this thing. But I've never been interested because at the heart, it, this is a game about players' mind. And not a single one of this shows... Can you show me the game? Pick? Not all these close-ups. Please just show me the game. There must be pictures of the game, Right? Nope, not a single picture of... Oh, this is as close as we can get. Uh, this is It's a much bigger board, and you've got a character, you've got a deck of cards that is unique to that character, and in the original Unmatched, you're just moving your character around, engaging in duels with other players. I have zero interest in that. But um, when Kimberly covered it, when she did the uh, Genie and Houdini expansion for it, for the channel, I thought, wow, that looks great. Man, I wish I could play that cooperative. Now you can. That's what um, th this is bringing us. Uh, the Tales to Amaze brings us four new playable characters, I think three different bosses that we fight together with a really simple system, and that finally brings the brilliant card-driven combat that looks like, I mean, to me, from what I've seen, it looks like it rivals Gloomhaven, quite frankly, in terms of 
fun, engaging, with tons of variety gameplay, with all these different cards, with all these different powers. That's a better shot. Um, but then, the beautiful thing, too, is, as I understand it, this Tales to Amaze is backwards compatible with the dozens and dozens of unmatched stuff. So you could you use the characters to come in, or you could use Jurassic Park characters, or superheroes, or all... I mean, you know, fairy tale characters. There's, there's dozens of different ones, and I love that. I'm very happy for Paulo, and, I mean, if this works well, I might have to be become an avid collector myself and keep them for me rather than sending them off to him. Anyway, uh, this is why I, mean, I love cooperative games and I've been looking for a game that does cooperative tactical running around on a map stuff as good as Gloomhaven. I'm not saying this does, but I'd really like to give it a try. Number eight, um, the uh, Unmatched Adventures, Tales to Amaze. Then we go on to number seven. Um, all right. All right. Hey, how do you pronounce this? Uh, Aldebaran. No, that's not right. Aldebaran, Aldebaran. Yeah, like the Aldebaran system in Star Trek. Aldebaran Duel. Why am I excited about this? Two words. Vladimir Sushi. Uh, or Suki. Or Sushi. Su- however you want to pronounce it. Vladimir S. is... Uh, this is a good year, folks. He's actually got three games at the convention this year. This is the smallest one. And it's at its... Why I'm really intrigued for this, not only because it's got Vladimir Suchi's name, but because there are so many two-player-only dueling games that come out these days, and they're always all about running around just trying to punch each other over the head. Even in games where that didn't exist, like Seven Wonders, they decide to put punching over the head in um, Seven Wonders Duel. There are other ways to make duels, and I'm excited about this because this is a duel of the minds, not duel of the fists. Uh, it seems like a very sharp, fast-playing card drafting game where we are trying to build up a tableau of planets that we're colonizing as we you know, explore the galaxy and all of that. But this is an economic duel where we are trying to compete on four different axes to get lots of points based on what we can draft, what we can play, using the uh, you know the uh, the the time-honored tradition of. Hey, I've got multiple cards in my hand. I've got to discard these cards to play that card. But then I build them up. And I love how they can build up to be different types of planets with different resources on them. But mostly, I just love a dueling game that Jen and I can have a duel without having to burn each other's stuff down. But instead, just playing to the best of our ability to build things and just be the best builder. A building duel. Um, um, So that is why... uh, Aldebaran, Aldebaran Duel comes in. I this is one I've got to play. Number seven on the list. Then we've got number six on the list. Brussels, eighteen ninety three, Belle Epoque. Now there are always lots of uh, you know reprints and two that are coming out every year. And for the most part, I try to stay away from them because often they don't change things. But from what I've read, Belle Epoque seems like it changes. One of my favorite worker placement games and improves and advances it in big ways. What always made Brussels eighteen ninety three so great was it is a worker placement game where every time you place a worker, it is to achieve three things. It is to do the action where you placed it. It is to make a bid in an ongoing auction. And it is to fight it out for area dominance in an area majority game. Each worker has three things it does. And so it makes so many tough, interesting decisions. And I've always loved it for that. And so this game seems like it's the original game, but with like an extra expansion's worth of stuff. And it changes one of the at least one of the core precepts because now I think we're doing something other than area control as a third thing. Or maybe we're doing a fourth thing with the workers. I'm not 100% certain. Honestly, I did not have to dig into this too terribly much. I just looked at the uh, the, the description on Board Game Geek. I remember how much I loved the original 
original, and I just I would just been happy with an expansion. But an expansion that changes kind of the core and you know gives it a new look of paint and all that makes me very very excited. Which is why um, you know I'm really treating this as a sequel, not just a you know a 2.0 number six on the list. Brussels, 1893 Belle Epoque. Okay, now let's move on to number five, Evacuation. Folks, I said Vladimir Zuzzi was having a very, very good year. This is the second time I'm going to talk about him today. And I am so jealous of Gaming Rules' Paul Grogan. I think he did a run-through, and I think uh, Tom Heath has done a run-through. I want to do a run-through, but I guess I'll have to wait until later in the year uh, when I can get my hands on it, however I can get on it. Um, All I know is it's, it's, you know, Vladimir Zuzzi, folks, um, you know, it's... Uh, underwater cities and last will and shipyard and you know so many. I mean, you know, Pulsar twenty eight forty nine. I mean, he does. He always knocks it out of the park. And where I've heard this is maybe his biggest, most complex, crunchy game he's ever done, which at once fills me with excitement and also with trepidation because his games like Product of Book Redney just kind of are right on the hairy edge of being a little bit too much for me and Jen, but I gotta try it. This is a game where we are evacuating Earth, trying to transport the entire population of humanity to the new planet, and as we move people over, um, we're giving up uh, benefits and resources and abilities from the old planet and unlocking ones on the new planet. Um, I'm intrigued, but you had me at sushi, um, Vladimir uh, sushi, and uh, yeah, this one is definitely one I've got to check out. Number five on the list, evacuation. And now, folks, I'm going to reveal that I have lied to you three times today. Not only was I not doing a top 20, but instead two top 10s. I'm only doing one top 10, and now I'm going to flip the script, because here's the deal, folks. Numbers four, three, two, and one on this countdown I'm doing... I've already done them. I've already talked about them at great length in the R&R show. And what's that, you might ask? It's a uh, show that myself, Rel Gaviola, and Chris George of Room and Board, that we're the three R's, it's actually the R&R and R show these days, we get together usually a couple times a month and do all kinds of fun countdowns. And a couple weeks ago, we did a countdown for our top 12 most anticipated games for S and Spiel. And in this top 12 are my numbers for three, two, and one. So if you want to hear the rest of my list and you haven't checked out the R&R show, folks, uh, there's the link right there at the bottom of the screen. Um, R-N-R, the letters, Romeo, November, Romeo, dot, rotto, dot com will take you to this playlist. The one at the top here is Top 12 Must Have Games at Essence Spiel. Oh, and by the way, you might want to check this out anyway because we're doing a giveaway. People who watch this episode can listen for a secret clue, um, mail in an entry, and potentially win tickets to the next PAX Unplugged. So, there's another reason to listen if, if you have something besides just want to hear my numbers 4, 3, 2, and 1. Right. So, all of that is right there just waiting for you at rnr.rado.com and you could win PAX Unplugged tickets. So, folks, I kind of feel bad. I kind of feel like I'm cheating you. That I need to give you four more games because I promised 20, right? So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call an audible and now I'm going to do a countdown of my four must-have expansions. Yes, this is something I've never done in one of these four. I only talk about the main games, but now I'm telling you, I mean, there's a lot of expansions, a bunch I could talk about, but these are the four that really stand out to me as absolute, absolute must-haves. So, let's get to it. Let's talk about Orleans the Plague. Right. Uh, 
I haven't played Orleans in years. Any opportunity to go back and play some more Orleans is well worth it in my book. And I'm particularly excited about this because in addition to the other stuff, you know, new buildings and whatnot that it brings, it brings new chips that we have to throw into the bag for the first time. We've been, there's been so much Orleans expansion, but they've always just been new buildings, new maps, new boards and all that. But now we have um, sick people who end up going in our bag that can clog up our bag. And, you know, I mean, Orleans is the, you know, the, the premier bag builder and deck building is always had things to clog up. Now we can clog things up here and we have a new type of playable or a character we can hire as well, the Plague Doctor, who can help us fight the plague. So yeah, I'm very interested in all of that. My question is, I don't want to have to go back to playing with cardboard tokens, so please, Board Game Geek, make an announcement that you're going to have your upgraded um, bits pieces for the new pieces in uh, Orleans of Plague. I Don't get me wrong. I'll go back to the cardboard if I have to, because I'm really excited about this. Number four on my must-have expansions, Orleola Plague. Alrighty, then let's go on to number three, Boon Lake Artifacts. Oh, baby. Boon Lake is one of Alexander Pfister's greatest designs. And honestly, sadly, I don't know why, it's one of his most overlooked. It just really, I guess the timing was wrong. It was in the shadow of Maracaibo. Uh, it was in my top 10 games of 2021. I think it's fantastic. I think it has one of the greatest action selection mechanisms that the industry has ever seen. And then it is just kind of a fun, Euro-y, heavy, crunchy race game, um, which maybe players didn't realize. Maybe players play too slow. That's a problem that can happen with his games like Maracaibo and uh, Great Western Trail that people don't, they forget. You're racing. You've got to make big jumps. And Boon Lake allowed for that. It was a brilliant game. You can go back and check out my original run through. Why am I excited about this? Well, uh, to get back out Boone Lake and play some more. But I also love that it adds an entirely new board that is the lake. The lake was just like a little tiny spot on the board originally. Now it's got its own separate board and it introduces, you know, you've, we've already got our ships that are moving down the, going through different lakes. Now we have a separate one where we have an additional character who is moving from turn to turn, uh, circling around Boone Lake, although they can be upgraded into a ship in their own right so that they can sail around Boone Lake instead. So we've got I mean, basically, we're doubling our option space in this game, having two different boards we're trying to race through instead of just one. So that sounds great. And then there's going to be new cards, um, you know, new, um, what are they called? Artifacts. That's the name of it, right? The artifacts give you special powers you can spend your vases on to charge them up. So, yeah. What's not to love? Any excuse, as far as I'm concerned, to go back and play Boon Lake is worth it. Uh, you know, Alexander Fister has not let me down, and uh, Artifacts comes in. At number three. Then we talk about number two, Discordia Magna. Talk about a game that flew under the radar. An absolutely brilliant um, dice drafting, dice worker placement game about building Roman colonies at the height of the empire that I always loved. I mean, it's such a weird, quirky, offbeat game from Burned Eisenstein and Iron Games. Um, but I mean, I absolutely loved it. Again, you can go check out my original run through. So this is another opportunity. I'm excited for this because it gets me more. And what does it add? Well, first of all, it adds completely unique players. Boards. In the original game, everybody has the same colony board they're trying to build their stuff. You know, obviously things branch out, but now things start with each player having access to their own special powers and whatnot with their own boards. That in and of itself, you had me at unique, not just one, but you know, a half a dozen unique combinations of player powers based on what player board we start with. So that's awesome. And then number two, it adds a, a new type of thing we can invest in. Uh, the uh, I, I forget, they're called magnet chips. They're basically outposts that are out 
out there, they can come under attack from um, Germanic tribes. And so we've got this whole extra thing. What um, um, Discordia has always been is about players doing their best to find jobs for the people of their uh, society. And you know, every round, more people come in. They're moving here because they hear there's jobs, and they're like, I gotta find more jobs. And the game is over when somebody finally finds jobs for everybody. I've always loved that idea. Um, the whole, instead of trying to hoard more things, I'm trying to get rid of things. In this case, um, get rid of people by finding them gainful employment, which then gives me more actions and abilities and stuff. It's a brilliant game. But now you throw in the works of, oh, we also have to defend ourselves from attackers. That's probably another opportunity to create jobs. That plus new player boards, oh yeah, uh, Discordia Magna is a must-have. But not as much as my number one, another big surprise for me, uh, Hippocrates Agora. So Hippocrates is a really sharp game about the birth of modern medicine, or at least the modern medicine ideals of physicians do no harm and all that, you know, thanks to Hippocrates. That's why doctors take the Hippocratic Oath to this day, to do no harm. And it was a very, very sharp game with a lot of really interesting, fun, and challenging drafting, and then kind of network building, a hodgepodge of things that is more than the sum of its parts. And Jen and I absolutely loved it. Still have it to this day. What does Agora bring? If I recall correctly, I think they're all here. It shows uh, there's uh, four different modules. There are now nurses. Another thing you can be drafting for to help your doctors. Because really the main part of the game is getting the right doctors into the right place to cure the right patients that they are capable of helping. And now they'll get help with nurses. There are nobles uh, who kind of mix things up and give you additional goals of what you're trying to do because you got to keep the rich people happy. There are benefactors. You know, kind of the same thing. You know, a different kind of objective. Uh, you know, pulls you in different directions. But here's the most important one, folks. This is what pushed this to the top of the list. There's also events. Recently, I feel for the last couple months, I have been complaining vociferously about how I'm really starting to lose my patience with random gotcha events in Euro games. Things where like, oh, I'm just going along, I'm doing my strategy, and then hey, at the beginning of a round, draw an event, and boom! Oh, that hurt me and it hurt nobody else. Or, oh, that helped you and it didn't help me. And these kind of random things. So The antithesis of Orleans years ago did this right. Hey, at the beginning of a round, reveal an event that I don't have to deal with till the end of the round, so everybody has to Time to prepare. This random out of the blue stuff just doesn't work for me. I'm losing all patience for it. And so the thing is, I saw, oh, one of the modules for Hippocrates Agora is events. I'm like, oh no, this is going to ruin it. I'm not even going to put this on the list. But I went and read the rule book, and here's the brilliant thing, folks. As part of setup, there are, um, I think, level one, two, and three events. And you're supposed to shuffle them up, um, draw them, and put them on the board face up. All three events that are going to hit you, um, you know, at the end of the first act, second act, and third act, you know what all of them are from the beginning, and all of your, and so this adds a whole new level of planning to prepare for disasters, to take advantage of, uh, and I just rest of the industry, please pay attention to this. This is how you bring um, fun uh, events that will create variety and um, uh, you know new vibes for the game. This is how you do it. Well done, Hippocrates. Elaine Orban, you show why you are still the GOAT. And Game Brewer, you're knocking it out of the park. Uh, that's why Hippocrates Agora comes in at number one for me. And that's it, folks. All righty. Um, was that interesting? Like I said, I'm just beginning. I'm going to take a break, and then I'm going to talk about 100 more in the roundup. If you want to know more about that, hey, there's a Patreon thing. Or you can subscribe just to hear about, you know, like uh, Apiary's coming, right? You want to hear about that? In the next couple of days, my Apiary video will go up. Um, and, yeah, I'm still thirsty. I completely emptied this. I need to get a drink of water. Stat!